Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you have sustained us this week. And Lord, as we have come into this moment of worship, and now to your word, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, that you, Lord, would reach through the ways in which we have created barriers in ourselves, that we would know your truth, your love, through your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, Mike, I'm getting a really bad echo. Echo, echo, echo. It also doesn't help. I've got a little sore throat. That's better. Thank you. All right, so um, I'm going to be honest with you as we come to uh, God's Word this morning. This is a difficult, difficult passage. Um, In my time of prayer and discernment and research and study, it's like, man, writing a sermon on murder. Hmm. Right? We have... Summer camp breakfast, we have worship, prayers, and then we go straight into murder. Fun. But uh, as we head into uh, the Lord's Word this morning, it's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing here. As Tyler talked last week about uh, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is, is explaining to them that he is not coming to bring a new law, but that he is the fulfillment of it, and then heads straight away into one of the biggest aspects of the law. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And the, the title of this message is The New Standard. Jesus is, is not rewriting the commandments. Jesus is expounding and opening them to the misinterpretations uh, that have been taken place in them. So if you would, if you brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be reading verses 21 through 28. If not, the words will be on the screen here. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge will, may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. As we continue in our sermon series on the Sermon of the Mount, we transition from Jesus' fulfillment of the law into one of the old commandments. There in Exodus chapter 20, we're really going to spend time dissecting this. What does it mean for us? What does it look like? And, and what is Jesus truly saying here that is rubbing so many then and still yet today the wrong way? For us to have the context, it's important to put an emphasis on what Jesus said and why he did it. First, the Jews had a great reverence for the law. One of the practices in the synagogue and the church would be that the, the 
uh, scrolls would be taken out of the ark and they'd walk around to show the congregation to see and have respect for its presence. But even more, Jesus addressing himself here as the fulfillment of the law, he brings us straight into the heart of the matter. Jesus takes what many of them have known and turns it upside down. He speaks with an authority by which no one has ever been able to do, nor has anybody heard. We recall when Jesus is speaking at the beginning of his ministry. He's in the synagogue, and people were listening to him. They said, we're astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And likewise, we're going to hear the same tone at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So we're coming into this new standard with an authority unlike anything before. Jesus steps back into the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are given, Thou shall not murder. And he begins with this commandment, very straight, forward, right to the point. Jesus says, and we read it again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying, in God's sight, it was not just for the man who committed the crime of murder, but it was also the person who is angry with their neighbor who is guilty of the same. It's not just the outward action of the person who murdered, but it's also the person who allowed that sinful desire to enter into their heart who is guilty. Now let's just do an honesty check here real quick. Show of hands, how many of you have ever ever been angry before? Come on, there's a few that didn't raise a hand. All right, all right. I'm glad that we all can uh, at least acknowledge with one another that we've been angry. You know, last night I'm, I'm... I'm not feeling the greatest, and we're in the kitchen, and Amy's talking to me about the message, and she goes, hey, you're preaching on anger this week. Do you need any more sermon examples? <laughs> and I said, no, honey, I think I've got enough. She's like, well, if you need more, just let me know. I can help you with some of the examples. Because we had been talking about this throughout the week, and, and she actually um, brought up a moment that she's like, you have not used that yet as a sermon example. And it reminds you every day. Uh, it would have been a few years ago, we had uh, just purchased an a, a old, used, big truck, a lot of miles on it, but it was beautiful to us. And, and uh, we literally, the first week we had it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go down to the timber and cut some wood and put some wood in the truck and drive it up out of the timber, like all, you know, lumberjack. And Amy's like, whatever. So I'm down in the timber, and I get the truck full of wood, and I'm trying to come up the ravine, and it's obviously snowy and icy out, and uh, we had just uh, had Amy and Luella in the truck, and uh, Amy's like, hey, this is not a good idea, and I go, it's totally fine. This bad boy has four-wheel drive. She goes, it's not a good idea. So I keep going up the hill, and we slide down the ravine into a log uh, from the Draco and just put a huge old, it folded the, the bed of the truck underneath. And Amy goes, that's it, we're walking home. 
I'm like, we're already home. We're on our property. She goes, your pride, your anger about this truck not making it up the hill, look where we're at now. So I get it out, finally, and I'm trying to bend it all back. But now every time I walk outside, I look at this truck that's got all these crinkles in the bed, and I hear Amy, you know, the, I told you so, right? Now, guys, we have this, uh, are more particular than women, an aspect that we have pride that, like, blinds us and just makes us dumb as all get out to the rational and the reality, and uh, women, please don't give up on us. We need your help. But I share that as one moment of, of something that happened in a quick uh, burst of anger and pride that I've got to live with every single day when you drive that vehicle, the wrinkles in the bed. But even more so, as I have that object to look at to remind me of my anger, it was a couple of weeks ago on a Friday, and uh, Fridays are uh, my days off, and so it's like, oh, just relaxing. And it was cold out, and uh, we saw the Jehovah's Witnesses drive up to our neighbor's house. And Amy's like, oh, oh boy, they're at his house. Maybe they'll come to ours next. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to talk with anybody. It's my day off. Well, guess what? They come over to our house, and uh, I go outside in my sweatpants and T-shirt and some flip-flops, and it's freezing cold, and Amy's like, bring them in. Bring them. I'm like, no, I'm just going to say hi. It's, it's okay, and... They get out, and they're talking to me, and they go, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And I go, yeah, I do. They go, well, we'd like to talk to you about how you're wrong. And I go, well, you know, in my heart, I'm like, today's my day. I don't want to talk and be controversial. I just want a break. And Amy's in the kitchen window, come on in! And I'm like, go away, go away. And then finally, Amy comes outside, come on, it's cold out. And so uh, we all go inside, and uh, we're sitting there, and we go through the scriptures, and it was uh, actually uh, a moment for me. I, I got giddy and excited. We're talking about theology, and uh, they're walking through scripture, and then I'm walking through scripture, and we go back and forth, and Amy's like, what are you guys doing? I don't know these theological words you're talking about, all this stuff. And anyway, we go through this uh, huge theological navigation, and clearly they're not going to change. Uh, their understanding is their scripture has been rewritten so that Jesus is like a, a, a God, but is not God. And, and we go through all these different navigations, and they start picking on me a little bit. And I say, ah, I don't know. Anyway, we come to the end. You know, Amy was so excited to have them come in and for us to be able to witness and share conversation and she goes, can I pray with you? And they go, no. Amy's face just went from super happy to like, are you kidding me? We can't pray together? Well, we don't believe in really the same God. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh boy, get ready, hold Amy back. <laughs> Mama Bear's coming out. She's not in here, so I can tell the extended version. <laughs> oh, she's back there raising her hand. Love you. <laughs> Scan the crowd. Know your context. <laughs> but it was in that moment of conversation, and as we had the dialogue, there are so many different things that 
brought in our own hearts and our own feelings of like anger, of like, oh my goodness, this is so sick. Why don't you see it? Why don't you get this? Why don't, why don't you understand this? And then it was just that cherry on top that we as Christians couldn't pray for them. And, and we all have these moments in our lives that we get blindsided by the reality of something that we think is, is really just easy peasy or just trying to be hospitable or, or anything. And then all of a sudden, anger can just sprout up within us. And for some of us, we don't even recognize or know where that anger comes from. And so there has to be a deep awareness of what's going on internally in your heart and in your mind. Why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? Why are you so angry? And Jesus is approaching this saying, it's not just about the person with an outward act of murder, but it's what's the seed, what's the desire within their heart? For that desire, that anger, that kind of anger is liable of the same exact judgment of murder. And I, I tell you, I've really struggled with this, but um, you know, we all have to acknowledge right here today, every single one of us, through our hearts and our desires and our bitterness and our anger, we really have to come to terms with what Jesus is saying is that we've actually all become murderers at one point or another. And that's a hard thing to hear. But Jesus is, again, talking about what's inside, what's going on in here. Jesus touching on this very familiar commandment for the Jews. One that's known well, and he breaks down the barriers of what's taking place. But you know, for, for them and for us, there's a typical response that we have. Well, at least I'm not uh, a murderer looking at somebody else's life. Well, at least I didn't do, ah, fill in the blank. We like to justify our lives by looking at somebody else's life. But Jesus isn't just saying the deeds alone are being judged. It's the desire from the heart that is, too, going to be judged. In the eyes of our society, if you're a good person, if you, if you don't do anything that breaks the law or something that's forbidden, you're good to go. But Jesus is cutting through all of that. And he's saying that that judgment's going to come first at the desire of the heart. To the point is, we all have an inner battle that we're facing. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, we're going to be reading this soon. Where your treasure is, there also is your heart. Bounce back with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. That's what the Lord says to Cain after Cain murders his brother. But then listen once with me to this. This is from our brother, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. This is kind of lengthy a tongue twister, but it's one of my favorites, and I think he does a great job expanding and, and spelling out for us what takes place for each of us. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. 
For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful." We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Paul is opening up and, and helping us understand that even the commandments are exposing him to the law and the commandments. If it wasn't for the commandments, he wouldn't know what sin is. And that's helpful for us if we're in dialogue with people who do not believe in Jesus or God at all. If they don't believe in the church, if they don't believe that they sin, it's, it first and foremost starts at the foundation that they don't know or have not been exposed to the law. For the things that you've done when you weren't a Christian, you didn't give it a second thought about it being against God. You just did it out of the desire of your heart. It made you feel good. But Paul's saying, the law showed me I'm a sinner. And then that law also that is supposed to save me realized that the sin inside me is killing me. The things I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep on doing. The things I do want to do, I can't do comes to this breaking point. He's saying, what a wretched man am I? I'm hopeless. It's all, it's all for none. But then he brings it home by saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Because it is God alone who can judge. You and I, we only see the outward of another person. But God sees the heart as well. So if God is the judge, by default, not one of us can stand before God and judgment. Through his son, though, 
we are judged by his sacrifice on the cross. Left alone, we are dead in our trespasses. Left alone, we are dead in our tracks. But through Jesus and his sacrifice, when God looks at us, he sees his son. This new standard eradicates all the pride and brings us to the cross of Jesus Christ, who alone can enable us to rise and face the desires of our hearts and live into the standard that is set before us. It's also important to note here that this is a Bible verse that has been taken out of proper interpretation to pose Jesus as a pacifist. That Jesus said, never be angry. That there's a difference between righteous anger, which seeks to restore, and unrighteous anger, which seeks to destroy. We read once again Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother and sister, Raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire and hell. Turning the heat up a little bit, Jesus is saying that anger against your neighbor is forbidden. It is the selfish anger that Jesus is talking about here. In the Greek, there's two words for anger. Thumos is the very first one. It's the kind of anger that is fleeting, and it's described as a flame that is put to a dry piece of grass, that it flashes up quickly and dies out quickly. And then the second one is org. It's a second type of anger. It's one where a person cultivates an anger against another person. One where somebody nurtures anger within their heart and in their mind, like a mother nurtures a baby. Always reliving what had happened, not allowing that anger to die, keeping the coals just burning. Straight away, you and I can identify in our own lives the type of anger we have or are currently living with. Are you the person with a thumos, a quick flame, a quick burst of anger? Or are you the person at org that you are just letting something inside, letting the anger just twist and turn, and you're just fanning the flame just to keep it alive, just to chip on your shoulder, just to justify yourself by not wanting to reconcile. I invite us to listen once to what William Barclay says on this matter. Jesus forbids forever the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be practical, the anger which seeks revenge. If we are to obey Jesus, all anger must be banished from life, especially the anger which lingers too long. It is a warning thing to remember that no man can call himself a Christian and lose his temper because of any personal wrong which he has suffered. Again, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. Anyone who says, you fool, be in danger of fire and hell. To call a person Raka meant to call them a brainless idiot, a fool, 
empty, worthless. Raka is the word that is used to describe one who despises the other with arrogant contempt. Beneath consideration, that person is worthless. This is the type of anger we should never behold of any person whom Christ has died for, and he died for all. Following the word raka is the word moros, which is fool. To call someone a fool of this kind is not insulting their mental capabilities. This is that of a moral fool. And here's an example of Psalm 14:1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. To be a moral fool is to be immoral, to question their character. When one calls another moros, they are in fact taking that person's name and their reputation from them, an immoral, loose living person. Simply put, the person who seeks to destroy another person's name or reputation is liable to judgment of hell. Where do we find ourselves today? Have you been in those positions before? Where you've been so angry that you've sought revenge, justice upon your own intellectual justifications? Perhaps it's been within your family or maybe work or your friend groups or even within the church. And yet there is one place that is often overlooked, which is a, a breeding ground for this kind of anger, and that's gossip. You know those parking lot conversations of talking about so-and-so that you're just kind of loosely informing them, but you have this tone within your voice that you're actually trying to push them down or, or whatever it may be. It happens both here in the church and everywhere else. Those side conversations about other people might bring us into the moments of temptation where we might be calling somebody a fool or an idiot or worthless. Listen to this last quote here by William Barclay. In the old days, men condemned murder, and truly murder is forever wrong. But I tell you that not only are a man's outward actions under judgment. His inmost thoughts are also under scrutiny and the judgment of God. Long-lasting anger is bad. Contemptuous speaking is even worse. And the careless and the malicious talk which destroys a man and his good reputation is the worst of all. The man who is the slave of anger, the man who speaks of the in the accent of contempt, the man who destroys another's good name may never be, have committed murder in action, but he is a murderer at heart. We move into the words of Jesus saying, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember your brother and sister has something against you. Leave your gift in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Understanding the sacrifice is quite simple. If a person did something wrong or broke the law in any way, they brought forth an offering. 
The offering was to restore the broken relationship between that person and God. But it's also important to note that the sacrifice could not be made to atone for deliberate sin. Not in the way that Jesus dies for us. Jesus dies for our deliberate sins and our undeliberate sins. He is the atonement for all sin. But if we recall the Jewish Day of Atonement, that was a day held to cover the sins of the nation, both then and now. Those are null and void if at first the person who is coming forward with a sacrifice still has a grievance against a brother or a sister. Jesus is being very forward here. If you are coming to offer something to me and you have something against somebody else, go at once and settle it. You cannot be right with God until you are right with your neighbor. We cannot hope for the forgiveness without confession and repentance. And maybe perhaps there are some of us here today who are angry with somebody, who have been nurturing this anger, who have been fanning the flames for a very, very long time. Which brings us to the last point of Jesus' word today. Settle matters quickly. With your adversary who is taking you to court, do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The simple interpretation is this. Settle matters quickly. As we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And come to a point this morning to acknowledge our lives before one another and before God, to confess, to repent, and to believe once again. Right now, I'd like to invite each of us to ready our hearts for confession. Who is it? Maybe the person sitting next to you, maybe somebody else in this room, maybe it's the first phone call you need to make when you leave today. I'm sorry. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to forgive you. Jesus calls me to forgive. The slate's clean. Can we start over? Confession is important. We have to confess to one another. We have to confess to the person who might not even know that you're angry at them. And we have to repent within our hearts. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. We're going to do all of this this morning. And the act of realizing and acknowledging our lives that from dust we came and dust we shall return. Tyler and Mike are going to be ready here in a few moments with the ashes. As we recognize our lives, as we take an inventory of what's taken place to this point, to this day, all those moments, maybe they've been the fleeting moments of anger, maybe they've been the deep-rooted, nurturing kinds of anger. 
to let it go. To let it go. Because in the judgment of God, that is viewed as the same as someone who is murdered outwardly. And after all, we might just come to realize that the person that's needed to confess, the person that's needed to repent, the person who's needed to come to terms may just, in fact, be your own self. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth, for your word. And right now in this moment as we acknowledge our lives before you, God, remind us once again that you've breathed the breath of life into man, that you've created us in your image for a purpose. Yes, Lord, we fall short. Help us in those moments that we would not allow the desire within our heart to, to grow and sprout. but that you, Lord, would help us. Give us the guidance and direction. Help us in the words of confession. You know, Lord, every single person sitting in this room, you know their hearts, you know their lives. You know what needs to take place for healing. So God, break off the chains. Help us to acknowledge it's good to confess. And may we repent to live into the life which you have called us and given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.